Welcome to the Church in the Graveyard podcast. On one hand, the book of Jonah is a roller coaster ride with giant fish and famous cities. On the other hand, beneath the surface, Jonah reminds us of the surprising grace of God in the face of judgment. Jonah draws our eyes to Jesus. For more information and audio content, please visit us at neac.com.au. Hi, my name's Phil. Um, I'll be uh, reading the first Bible reading tonight, which is Jonah chapter 2, all of chapter 2, found on page 916 of the Pew Bibles. Our first reading, Jonah chapter 2, page 916. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled around me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down, the earth beneath barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs, but I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto the dry land. Hi, my name is Mim, and I'll be reading the second reading for tonight. It comes from Romans 5, verses 6 to 11, which can be found on page 1116 of your Pew Bibles. So that's Romans 5, verses 6 to 11. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Good evening again, everybody. Uh, Let's pray as we think about that passage from Jonah. Father, have mercy on us as we read again this passage from Jonah and listen to it. We pray that you would speak to us by your Holy Spirit, that we would know you and know your grace to us. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Uh, Well, you may have seen on your outline that this sermon uh, is entitled, Why Being a Christian is Like Being in a Fish's Stomach. Uh, Of course, I I just kind of like that title. Uh, It's not you know, got that much more to it. But I hope also that this sermon will help us understand why you have to walk through a fish's mouth 
or a whale's mouth or whatever it is, or a dinosaur, it's a fish, it's aquatic, uh, to get into church. Uh, Because this this week we get to the bit in the book of Jonah, inside the fish. Uh, It's the classic image of Jonah, Jonah inside the whale, uh, and then spewed up onto the beach. Last week we left Jonah in what seemed uh, to be a pretty bad situation. Um, He was thrown into the sea, uh, sinking and then swallowed by a great fish. Uh, Jonah, if you weren't here, this is the kind of recap of the story, he tried to run away from God and tried to refuse what God wanted him to do. But of course it didn't work because you can't run away from God just by running in the opposite direction. And it's easy then to just kind of quickly see the fish as, as God's punishment of Jonah, kind of giving him time to stew, literally, uh, on what he had done and what he decided. But what we have to realize is that the fish is not Jonah's punishment, but his salvation. It is life for him, not death. Because in chapter 2, verse 1, Jonah prays from the belly of the fish. And what he prays is not a prayer for help, but a prayer of thanksgiving. And it ends with the words in verse 9, salvation belongs to the Lord. And because of this, Jonah's experience, I think, actually gives us a very powerful image of what it means to be a Christian. Because his prayer of thanksgiving shows us really clearly what it means to be saved by grace. So come with me, please, as we read Jonah chapter 2. Have it open before you. It's on page 940. What is it? 916. 60? 16. Wow, that was awkward. 916. Jonah chapter 2. We're going to look through it together. So from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. Uh, As I said, what he prays is a prayer of thanksgiving. Um, Before we get into the prayer itself, however, I just want to pause and make a quick comment about the setting, uh, because some of you may perhaps either last week or or now have found it hard to believe this. Really? Aren't we really saying Jonah was swallowed by a fish, and that, as we'll see, he stayed alive for some time in said fish? Uh, This story has provided fuel for skeptics for literally thousands of years. Uh, And my Bible study group on Wednesday pointed out that it's kind of a reasonable question to ask, did this really happen? Um, This was as unbelievable, actually, in the ancient world as it is in the modern. Well, actually, that's not quite true. Uh, Because, in fact, in the modern world, we have reason to be just a little bit less confident that this is impossible. Uh, There are various possible sea creatures, actually, that could conceivably swallow a man whole and in which he might possibly somehow survive. Um, The two most feasible suggestions, uh, so I've read, are a whale shark or a sperm whale. Uh, Sperm whales have seemed especially inviting to many uh, as they are known to have been in the Mediterranean at the time. They have mouths and throats big enough to swallow a man whole uh, and have been found to have swallowed giant squid and great white sharks, uh, which are bigger than people. Uh, And they're also mammals, so kind of somewhere in there, there must be some air. 
Um, and they've also been known to vomit up undigested food, like what happens to Jonah. And there are actually a number of stories of men, mostly whalers, uh, being swallowed whole by sperm whales. Uh, I think there's a story about a dog surviving, uh, being inside and cut. I don't think... There is a story about a guy surviving. It's a great story. I want to tell it, even though it's almost certainly not true, but it's a good story. From 1891, the star of the sea, this guy called James Bartley uh, claimed that in, in a, a, a grapple with a whale, he'd got, this guy had gone in and disappeared. And then they caught the whale and cut it open. And, and it took about a day to remove the blubber. And then he was in there, alive, half mad, and bleached white by the gastric juices, uh, but he recovered. Uh, but that is probably, he probably made that up to make money, unfortunately. <clears throat> anyway, we've got the fish, got the whales. Um, of course, whatever we think about the fish and whales, it, none of it is to deny that what happens to Jonah is extremely weird. Uh, but of course, that, that, that's, that's the point, isn't it? I mean, there's no doubt that this is a miracle. It's a miracle of divine providence. Um, chapter 1, verse 17 says that God appointed the fish to swallow Jonah. It's not something, you know, you can expect to happen. Now, of course, if you're committed in advance to miracles never happening, then you'll write this off. Uh, but if you believe there really is a God who created the world and knows and can command each of its creatures... It's not ridiculous to think that this could happen, that God could do this. He can bring the world into being. He can do this. Especially given that we actually know of some sea creatures that could swallow a man whole. All of this, though, is actually a little beside the point. And that's because the aim of Jonah is not to record historical events. Well, not mainly. Uh, in fact, this is really hardly its purpose at all. The book of Jonah is, is generally not that interested in the historical details and instead focuses almost entirely on what this teaches us about God and what lessons it has for us today. The book's aim is much more moral and spiritual guidance than it is historical record. So much so that some actually argue that it's better to take Jonah as a kind of legendary tale that God has given to us for our instruction. Uh, I'm not actually convinced by that. Uh, I'd like to be to make the whale thing easier, but I'm not. Uh, because the Jonah mentioned in chapter 1, we know of him from elsewhere. He was a real person. And because there are historical details in the text, some of which actually have turned out to stack up fairly well. Uh, but I do think that should be a reminder that although the kind of fish questions, the set, I've always wanted to use the word setological, which means kind of whale studies, uh, there we go, I've used it. Although those questions are kind of interesting, they take us away from what this book is really meant to, to, how it's meant to be read. So if I can ask you, please, to just drag your minds away from bleached sailors struggling to breathe uh, inside the muck of a whale, it'd be great to focus our minds on these words of thanksgiving. Verse 2, Jonah's prayer begins by summing up the whole experience. You got it there? In my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help and you listened to my cry. These verses are the words of one who has experienced salvation. 
who has been rescued by God from deadly peril. In form, it's actually just like many of the Psalms of Thanksgiving, uh, which is why, as I hope you noticed, we used it earlier in our service. It was our prayer of thanksgiving. Now, I've said this already, but it's important, so I want to stress it. This prayer is not Jonah's prayer for God to save him from the fish. It's his thanksgiving that God has saved him through the fish. We see this as he recounts in verses 3 to 6 how he almost drowned. He begins with the moment he was thrown into the sea, verse 3. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas. Notice that he says it's God who hurled him in. The sailors actually physically did it, right? But Jonah and we know that this was a moment of divine judgment. And the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me, he says. Jonah describes his helplessness as he floundered in the water in the heart of the storm. Waves coming over him, struggling to stay afloat, pulled this way and that by undertoes. Yet the horror comes from the fact that he knows he has lost God. Verse 4, I said, I've been banished from your sight. Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. Jonah understands that what is happening to him represents God's curse. He has been banished. And yet he also knows that God is his only possible hope. And so in desperation, he begins to turn to God for mercy. I'll look again, he says. But he is drowning. Verse 5, the engulfing waves threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. You see the imagery here? He's gone under. He sinks below the waves. And verse 6 goes down, down in the dark and deep to the bottom. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. Jonah realizes that he was on the point of death. Drowning is terrifying. Uh, And it may be that there's somebody here who knows somebody or has been touched by drowning. I'm sorry if this is difficult, actually. Uh, It's in the text, but... Do understand that. But drowning is terrifying. And for the ancient Israelite, it was actually even more terrifying than it is for us because the sea for the ancient Israelite represented a place of chaos, the mysterious borderland of the created world. In the imagery of the book of Genesis, the first book in the Bible, God forms creation by pushing back the waters and bringing an inhabitable space out of the chaos of the waters. Genesis describes how God's creative work begins with the earth formless and empty and darkness over the surface of the deep. That word deep in the Hebrew is the word tohom, great word. And it's the same word Jonah uses here, the tohom is what he's, he's in. And, and it's a word that to the Hebrew mind has a sense of darkness and chaos. Jonah is experiencing, you see, not just death, but ultimate death. He's descending into the netherworld of God's punishment. Away from the light of his creative goodness. He's being unmade. He's going into hell. 
But then suddenly he is saved. Verse 6. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. Whether in that moment or later when he woke from unconsciousness in the fish, Jonah finds himself alive. And it can only be because God has answered his desperate prayer in his dying, drowning moment. Verse 7, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Jonah is saved. He's snatched from death by this act of sheer grace. He was dead, and justly so, as he himself knew. And yet, because God is a God of grace, of steadfast love, of mercy, he was just given life. And this recognition leads Jonah in verse 8 to a final moment of clarity and confession and resolution. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Well, the story of Jonah continues, and we'll pick it up uh, again next week. Much more to come. Uh, Actually, the book's climax. We haven't even got there yet. For now, though, let's just pause and ask, what are we going to make of this bit? The significance for us, I think, of this part of Jonah lies in this. His experience gives us a powerful image a really clear window onto what salvation means and how it is a matter of God's sheer grace and nothing to do with how good we are or what we contribute. See, let me, let me just ask you to imagine for a moment what this would be like to be drowning, flailing in the water, then sinking, being pulled under beneath the waves, suddenly breathing in water, seeing the surface disappear and it getting dark, floundering in weed, beginning to lose consciousness, and then with your last thoughts, calling on God for help, and then suddenly, (gasps) you're alive, in a fish, miraculously preserved. Saved by the God, you know whose anger sent you into the water. Can you imagine what that would be like? But brothers and sisters, that is exactly what has happened to those of us who trust in Jesus. Not literally, of course, but truly. Our New Testament reading, I don't know if you, it, it summed it up. Uh, please turn there, Romans chapter 5, verses 6 to 8. Can I have a page number called out for that one? 1116. Romans chapter 5. 1116. Verse 6. You see, writes Paul, at just the right time, like With Jonah, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. 
Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man. Though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. It does happen. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, that is precisely in the state in which we could not deserve or expect any special treatment or favor. Christ died for us. You see, we too were lost like Jonah, cast into the storm of God's wrath because we ignore or reject what he calls us to be and to do. And we too were sinking, banished from God's sight, drowning and powerless to do anything about it. And then he rescued us. But we also can see something Jonah could not. We can see what it truly meant for God to save us. Jonah, you see, Jonah knew he had received grace. Uh, In verse 8, that's how he contrasts God with idols, vain idols. Grace is what God's about. Yet he didn't really know what grace meant. He didn't know what it cost. You get the impression that he just kind of thought he'd caught a break. But we know. We know what grace means. We know what it cost. The death of Jesus Christ. The death of the righteous son of God to save the ungodly. This is what God's love really means. That's the depth to which the love of God will go to find us. This truth is brought home to us by a powerful parallel between Jonah and Jesus. I don't know if you've noticed it as we've been reading it, but you may remember that Jesus, like Jonah, was caught in a storm. It's in Mark chapter 4, and the Gospels tell us that Jesus, like Jonah, was asleep inside the boat while the storm raged, and that the sailors had to come and wake him. And like Jonah, he made the storm go calm, except he didn't make it calm by being thrown into it but simply by speaking to it. You see, the storm showed that Jonah was a guilty man. It showed that Jesus was the righteous son of God. But there's another aspect to this parallel, which uh, I think you saw last week Jesus draws attention to. In Matthew chapter 12, he says, Just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, So the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Just as Jonah was swallowed by the fish, Jesus was swallowed by the tomb. But of course, it's the difference between those two that matters. For as we've seen, the fish wasn't death for Jonah, but life. And so do you see the great irony of this comparison between Jesus and Jonah? Jonah, the one whom the storm showed to be an unworthy sinner, he's given life inside the fish. While Jesus, the one whom the storm showed to be the righteous son of God, is given death inside the tomb. Here, is how Jonah most powerfully shows us what God's grace means. 
For in his contrast with Jesus, he draws our attention to how salvation was actually achieved. The righteous one died so that we, the ungodly, like Jonah, could live. At just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. And because of that, in the face of our certain destruction and beyond anything we had a right to expect, we live. Well, I hope you'll see now why we set it up. So you have to walk into a fish to come into church. Don't worry, it won't last forever, although I kind of like it. But it's not just that it warms my Moby Dick loving heart, although it does. Call me Ishmael. But it's meant to be, yes, three people have read Moby Dick. Excellent. But it's not just that. It's, of course, that it's meant to be a reminder of God's extraordinary grace. Of how being a Christian is, is, is this kind of ridiculous and unbelievable. It's like being like Jonah in a fish's stomach, finding yourself alive miraculously when you should have been dead. So let me finish then by just asking, what difference will this make to you? And let me first speak to any who might be here tonight for whom this is still somewhat new. Friends, let me urge you to see tonight what it is that God has done for you and what he offers you. Nothing less than life when we face death. Just like Jonah, we have on our own no hope in the face of the storm of God's wrath. We are guilty. We have turned our backs on God and we are going under without a hope of saving ourselves. But at just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly, for me, for you. And because he loves you, he gave his son for you so that you could be forgiven and live. And he invites you right now to take hold of it. Can I urge you to, like Jonah, turn to God and put your hope in his mercy and to receive Jesus' death as God's utterly free gift of salvation. Second, though, let me speak to those of us for whom this is not such a new idea. And let me to ask you to consider how, how, how will it affect you, this reminder of what grace really means and what it costs? How will it affect you this week even? It's worth us pondering, I think, Jonah's words at the end of the psalm, if you've got them there. As we'll see in the rest of the book, Jonah himself is not yet completely turned around. He has still not actually truly understood what grace means. And yet, in the last words of his prayer, he does get it right, I think. As I said before, it's a moment of clarity and resolution. Verse 8, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. Salvation belongs to the Lord. You know, there's a kind of freshness and simplicity here that I think we should notice. 
there's a clarity about how things stand. The Lord is God. He's infinitely better than idols. He's a God of salvation. Isn't that great? And there's a joyfulness in the response. With a song of thanksgiving, I will serve the Lord. It's as if Jonah's experience of grace just makes all of this seem obvious and just fall into place. What's more, he has this attitude, even though he's still in the fish. Cramped up in there. I mean, you know, life is hardly a breeze for him at this point. And yet he still has this clear, simple gratitude because he knows he, he was dead. And now he's not. And let me ask you in closing, brothers and sisters, have you got this freshness and simplicity in your faith at the moment? This sense of clarity and and just joyful commitment towards God? Or have you lost it a little bit? Like we'll see Jonah do so very quickly when he gets back on land. Have things gone a little bit stale for you? I think that so easily happens to us amidst the busyness of life and the frustrations and setbacks we have. But perhaps that's partly because in the midst of everything, we've just lost touch a little bit with what it actually is that God has done for us. In the last couple of years, I have had the privilege a couple of times to introduce somebody to Jesus. It's been the best thing. But I've often found as well that when somebody becomes a Christian, I'm a little ashamed of how much more excited they are than I am. But you see, it's because, and they help me actually, remember what God's actually done for me. We let our minds drift from grace. We need to meet it again and again and again. So perhaps the best way to respond this evening is to let this passage, with its incredible image of being snatched from death and and the fish's mouth as you get vomited out after church. Sorry about that. That's the idea, right? To let it just be a kind of really vivid, slightly unpleasant, but powerful reminder of what it really means to be saved by grace. And to let it draw you back to Jesus and his death for you. So that it leads you back to the freshness and clarity of thanksgiving and joy and resolution that we see here. So that you go to work or whatever you're going to do tomorrow. With a kind of spring in your step. However unpleasant the situation you might be in. Because you know that God is good. And that he is good to you. And that there's nothing more obvious than to honor him and serve him and rejoice in him. For the truth is that we were dead. But he brought our life up from the pit. Praise him.